I'm Jordan Steingard, Program Manager at Columbia University's Temple Hoyne Buell Center for the Study of American Architecture. This podcast mini-series reflects on a Buell Center publication called The A&E System, Public Works and Private Interest in Architectural and Engineering Services, 2000 to 2020. In these podcasts, you'll hear from students from across GSAP who worked on the A&E System project in its various stages, from early case study research to learning to use public databases to the development and writing of the publication. In their conversations, they discuss their unique disciplinary perspectives, the role of the built environment in relation to climate change and government, and the ways that this research has shaped how they're moving forward as professionals. My name is Maria Linares Treyes. I'm an architect from Lima, Peru. I graduated from the Master in Critical, Curatorial and Conceptual Practices in Architecture in May 2019. And I'm currently working as an independent architect in research curation and also teaching at the Parsons School of Design. My name is Zoe Cowder-Nailbuff. I am a graduate of the CCCP program from 2020. I'm primarily working as a writer and doing archival research. I started on the summer of 2018, uh, working at the a and Systems Project at Peel Center. That lasted until graduation, so I was there for the summer semester and also the fall and spring, which was great because I got to see a lot of the different stages of the project. At first, it was a lot of trying, like myself, trying to get familiar with all the context here. And it was really interesting to find a lot of connections, which like realities that were happening as well in, in, in Peru, especially coming from a particular year, 2017, where all major climate disasters, quote unquote, happened everywhere. So I was with Alicia as well and Eddie, and we were working on different parts of the project. And at the beginning with Alicia, we were trying to navigate all the concepts and actually try to define what an architectural and engineering services meant. From that, then trying to navigate the legislation, the terms, the processes, the procurement process, which was really obscuring itself. And then from that, trying to, through these particular case studies in New Orleans and after Katrina, trying to, now with all this background information, trying to find the loose ends and trying to track down where the money went, basically, and where the projects coming from and the consequences of them. That was really clarifying, trying to, you know, work all these abstract concepts into one particular case study and see how everything tied down. And then from that, other, like, we, we kept finding other things. So it was a feedback loop between, like, the two scales, let's say. The big scale of how the whole system works and also how it particularly affected these these areas in, in New Orleans. And, and also, well, I actually did one in Mississippi. So the contrast between what happened in Louisiana and what happened in Mississippi was also clarified in terms of how states worked and address the issues of recovery. For me particularly, I, I was really interested in the Stafford Act. That was something that was new to me. It really impressed me or impacted me when I realized that everything was being built in the same way, like those were the conditions. And suddenly well, while we were doing this project, this new, the reform, the Disaster Recovery Reform Act came to be or started entering the discussion. So I that's why I focus on that and 
did this research on, on that particular legislation and the changes and what those changes meant, specifically in the case during the Trump administration, which was such a climate change denier. So how would they frame it and how the concepts were being manipulated to fit the, the general discourse? For me, that's, that's what I dedicated my, my efforts on. It's been great to see how it all came together because it in, in such a didactic and clarifying way because from the research, you know that it's not easy to understand. It's really, really difficult to navigate all the terms and the legislations. Everything is like obscured. It's not as easy to and you get and download these um, like huge databases and you don't know where to start. And then I think it was really a huge accomplishment that at the end went up with this guide that it's so didactic in many ways. I started at the Buell Center right after Maria and also worked sort of that same term from summer between the first and second year of the program through the second year up until graduation. And it was such a gift to build on Maria and Maria's cohort's work because that really difficult work of wrestling with these terms and trying to call through hundreds and hundreds of data sets to even begin to grasp an understanding of what we were looking at, uh, let alone try to define it, was so much work that I'm really grateful that I was able to come in after because that initial work for the power project for the architecture and engineering project took so much time and so much work to even begin to put into words kind of what this thing that the Buell Center knew was there and was sort of really just sort of feeling out and, and under, trying to understand the contours of. And so building on that incredible foundation, the work that I began doing along with other people in my cohort was looking into these firms that kept appearing on the government procurement lists and kept on getting contracts. And for more and more of these disaster programs were getting contracts because they had already received contracts or their contracts were getting extended and just more and more money was going to them. And really trying to understand the histories of these companies and how they developed the power that they hold. And I, I think that I, I, I had an idea of architecture and design and planning that I knew was going to be broadened while while in school and I you know of course that's like a part of why why you're there but what was really interesting about um, what we were doing at the Buell Center was it wasn't just about expanding an understanding of the practice but kind of sitting with the difference between like what I understand architecture and design is and then what the government considers architecture and design or like why these two things are incongruous, why they don't overlap as actual sort of structural questions. It wasn't just about kind of expanding, but actually sitting with that contradiction or sitting with that gap. And I feel like that kind of thinking is so key to the work in our in CCCP, like Marie was saying, like holding two scales at once or and also, yeah, learning something new, but also asking why that is new knowledge or why these knowledges are different. Um, and that still feels, I don't know, so important. I think it's really interesting what you mentioned. So in the sense that, you know, these two ideas of what we conceive as architecture and engineering services and how many of us don't work in one, in like the government 
the, the way the government has conceived it. We live outside of it somehow. And uh, because of the general context and how the discourses are shaped and the media is shaped, architects are, are like in another, <laughs> in another world. And so only a few actors are left participating in these like firms and participating in these, even drafting this legislation. So the experts or not even the experts, like not the, not the whole community of architects, planners, real estate developers, engineers are not taking part of the discussion. They're living like outside of it. And so I think that was really clarifying or like kind of a realization. <laughs> I think one of the things that really stuck with me was how the concepts were shaped. And so we are suddenly, we get some of these concepts as like a second layer and like secondhand concepts and we just incorporate them and use them and like generalize them. And we are not actually aware of how those concepts were shaped, who are they serving and how did they come to be? Like for example, resilience or even sustainability and how many of these legislations and many of these projects are adopting those concepts and then making them popular, but they are just, and in that, because they're being shaped from government views on, on how these disasters needs to be managed. Some of those concepts are just perpetuating the system as it is. So for example, with resiliency, it refers to this idea of protections and protective infrastructure and you know making walls to protect us from uh, rising seas or just taking houses up three stories just to protect them from flooding and not actually going to the root of the problem to is like, how do we avoid these things happen? How do we stop them from happening? And so how to reappropriate concepts like sustainability or resilience or green design to step away from these preconceived notions of technological megastructural visions of architecture and rather go back to, okay, if actually facing the issue of climate change, maybe it, it demands us to think imagine different processes, imagine different sets of relations, and then not just entering this defensive mode in which we just close ourselves to what's happening outside. What Maria is saying makes me think about um, the way that so much of architectural education and a, and I, a kind of idea in the discipline is about a kind of like there is an idea of a kind of architectural exceptionalism or an idea that architecture is able to problem solve in ways that haven't been otherwise figured out or that architecture is really about providing solutions to really big problems. And I think that such a solutions-oriented field, such a solutions-oriented discipline can become really short-sighted or can, can become solutions oriented that that's never called into question or the idea of like uh what yeah what's at the root of the problem or is there a different way of approaching this is there a way of slowing down is there a way where this isn't a race to the bottom um you know whether that is about labor or about disaster recovery or about contracts, it's like the belief in and like I don't know the faith that that architecture can can change the world. That architecture is is here. I don't know. That kind of technological optimism of architecture makes 
those deeper questions harder to fully look at and to to answer because it, they're they're harder questions and like it's not something that we're taught to think about or taught to think that that's maybe what architecture can do or is for. It, not sure if that's totally clear, but it feels like there is such a focus on solutions to the problem and that it's a kind of having like a blinders on um, in a certain way. So it's funny because before I came to this project, I had done in back in, in Peru, I had done a project for the government, like a huge infrastructure for the government, um, a museum that had many layers. And it was really frustrating in the sense of how all the processes were taking place and like the delays and everything. But I think that for me was in my position as, as like, you know, an outside contractor designing and trying to preserve my project, even though that gave me, gave me like a little glimpse on how like procurements at the government level might take place. I think that project itself was really uh, enlightening in that sense. And also to make me realize how sometimes architects are really lacking the abilities to actually navigate these systems, right? We're lacking the language, we're lacking like the concepts, we don't know how the process actually works. So it's difficult to operate when you don't know like the, the matrix, let's say. And so in that sense, I think it really helped me to understand like the process behind scenes and how, if we want to contribute to that, how to operate inside those frameworks, which is like at the end, legislation is the way longer, a lot of the long-term solutions might take place, right? It's where they, those, they start at least taking shape. And then that's, that's on one thing. The other thing is I just recently taught a studio on environmental design and it was relating to sea level rise in New York. So again, those questions that I just touched on about how do we understand or reframe these concepts of resiliency, sustainability, to move away from these huge infrastructural projects to try to restore and understand these, these thresholds between water and land as places of possibilities and where we can renegotiate our relationships with other species with the with the with not with natural resources and to the natural processes instead of just going for a default technological solution of defensive infrastructure i think there's a a, a broader um takeaway which is uh to understand the power structures that at the end shape the territory and shape the the landscape in the sense of that sometimes because they happen so far away from us you know like a dam or super highway, or you know, uh, a huge infrastructure it doesn't happen like next to you. It happens, I mean, next to us in like in an urban context, going to school or operating in a city. It, it sometimes it happens like in rural areas or outside of big cities. Or when they happen, they also obscure like the level ground communities and like destroys them and so trying to understand these scales and being aware that because they they all operate in these huge scales right like these huge them these huge numbers and volumes of water and like the impacts that are going to be across many states and across many all these square feet of land or hectares of land but they don't talk about the specifics right like they don't talk about what is affecting each, uh, like how this is shaping actually the territory and the communities that live in that territory. That most of the time have better understanding of that territory than the 
people doing the project. So I think in, in that sense, the title of the project in general was on point. It was about power. And so I think that's the largest takeout from this project to understand those power structures and how those power structures don't live in an abstract world. They are materialized in the built environment and then they have clear consequences to the people living in those territories. And in the process of going to this material application of those power structures, there are a lot of agents and a lot of steps in those skills. And we as architects, as a community of architects, are taking part on, on that. Maybe not, not me or so specifically in the sense that we are not working for the company doing it, but that community of architects is taking a stake on that. It's part of that. So how, right? Like it's on to us. How do we operate in that system? What do we want to do with that system? How do we con- see ourselves as agents in that system? And how our decisions and our practice can affect that and change that if necessary, right? So yeah, I think that's the most important thing I learned, I think. I, I mean, Maria, just you, everything you said is so, is exactly right. And I, I feel like, yeah, working at the Buell Center was so affirming towards having a practice rooted in research, having a practice rooted in, I don't know, historical studies, having a practice rooted in critical geography that what is happening now and um, what architects are doing and across what we understand as the discipline, but also beyond that is something that started somewhere and we can trace that historically and we can look at that to understand where we're at now. And yeah, architecture in the way that architecture is broader than what we understand it is in school, it includes things like floor and ACOM and and what the government considers architecture. It also includes historic research. It also includes forms of community archiving and organizing and yeah, hearing from individuals on the ground and reading their stories and and yeah thinking about power and how yeah who has power and 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 how are we beholden to to them the buell center does that so well (laughs) and it's really inspiring a moment that stands out to me from research on these large architecture and engineering firms was when we were compiling material on the firms and how they how they defined the terms like resiliency, like sustainability, um, environmentally friendly, or yeah, how they gauge their metrics of their footprint. My cohort that I was working with, we kept on having this problem where the link that we had found a definition from or information from the companies themselves, the link would be broken or like the text would have changed. And it like happened every week. And these lost web pages and also the language itself that we were had had found was essentially inscrutable. Every company from Florida to Acom, like they all kind of said the same thing, but they also said nothing and we were trying to understand it. And then at the same time we were losing the page that it was written on. And at a certain point, it became clear that actually this wasn't like a methodological problem, or it wasn't something that we were failing to grasp, but it was actually the practice of the companies. Like this is what they do. And we encountered this strange, constantly shifting ground. And that became such a clear resource for us, actually. Like this language doesn't make sense. And we don't need to figure out what it means we can actually just use this as evidence that was uh, that was a moment that 
stood out for all of us in MRCs and historic preservation people, me and CCP, like we all kind of, none of us, we were all bouncing things off each other and it became clear actually that this was like evidence of something. 